Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is a call not just to do good, but to be good. It's Jesus teaching on the kind of person he wants to make you into when you follow him. It's an invitation to be changed by Jesus. So today, we have one of the most popular teachings in the entire Sermon on the Mount, and it starts in chapter 7, verse 1. Do not judge or you will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Verse six, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under your feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Let's pray. Jesus, we ask that you give us ears to hear and eyes to see. We ask that We could get curious about what makes us judgmental and that we could genuinely ask of you how you would have us to be, how you would have us um, to correct people, to correct ourselves, and to grow into who you want us to be in your name. Amen. Um, This teaching is broken up into three parts, and the first can be summed up in a simple way. Do not pass judgment on other people. You're not God. It needs to be said from the onset, a lot of the commentators I read uh, said that um, this is one of the most wildly popular, but also um, can be very misunderstood verses in the Bible or in the Sermon on the Mount. And um, a lot of people will see this, okay, maybe, maybe we're not supposed to ever, ever critically look at anyone or anything. But as we, it doesn't quite make sense. It doesn't quite ring true because if you do a cursory reading of the book of Matthew, you see a lot of different stories where it sounds like Jesus is asking us to exercise some judgment, to exercise some thoughtful reflection on what other people are doing. So um, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, just a few more verses from here, we have, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious words. By their fruit, you will recognize them. So we have Jesus asking us to look at someone else's fruit and kind of pick up on what kind of person they are. So there's a little bit of exercising of judgment. We also have, the, um, when Jesus sends his disciples out later in Matthew, he says, um, whatever town you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. Anyone, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. So again, some kind of exercise of judgment on the kind of person that you're going to be staying with. We also have Jesus um, in one of the more famous verses in Matthew, Matthew 18, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. 
If they listen to you and you have won them, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, let it go to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So that's confusing. It almost seems like if you aren't calling people out to a certain amount, Jesus is making kind of a, a, a connection to what will happen in heaven and vice versa. So that's confusing. So we judge occasionally. Sometimes what, what could Jesus possibly mean? Ben Witherington says that the focus of this material has to do with judge has to do with judging or condemning people, not judging particular words or deeds or attitudes or actions of people. So Jesus is not saying never to be critical, never to use judgment on what might be right or wrong. We have to use judgment all the time. You know, if it's raining, you have to use judgment to decide, okay, I need an umbrella or not. Do I want to get wet? Do I not? That's a judgment. You use judgment all the time. So Jesus is not saying to do that. He's saying um, that it's not for a human being to be the final judge on another person's life. Another way to read verses 1 and 2 at the beginning is do not condemn another person to hell so you may not be similarly condemned in the last judgment. So it seems that to Jesus there's a difference between using good judgment and being judgmental. A difference between being critical and offering helpful feedback. Oswald Chambers says, in a wholesome spiritual life, there is no room for criticism. Oswald Chambers has a lot of good things to say on this, so I'll read a few quotes from him. But he says, if criticism becomes a habit, it will destroy the moral energy of the life and paralyze spiritual force. The only person who can criticize human beings is the Holy Spirit. None of us dare criticize another because as soon as we put ourselves in a superior position to, as soon as we do, we put ourselves in a superior position to the ones that we criticize. Critics must be removed from what they criticize. Chambers' observation is so spot on. If we look through history, um, especially the 20th century, so many of the genocides and massacres of people began with labeling another group of people as the other, as dehumanizing, as separating your, ourselves from those people over there. We were total, to criticize is to completely remove empathy, to completely remove compassion, and to come at them as if they are utterly and totally different than me. So does this mean that I can never give someone else feedback or make them aware of blind spots? I don't think so. N.T. Wright says, he, he, meaning Jesus, does not mean that we should not have high standards for behavior, for ourselves, and for our world, but that the temptation to look down on each other for moral failures is itself a temptation to play God. And since we aren't God, this means it's a temptation to play a part, to act, to be a hypocrite, which literally means 
a play actor, one who wears a mask as a disguise. And if you look back at the examples I read earlier, majority of Jesus' judgments or critiques or invitations to look at someone is to look at spiritual leaders to see if they are playing this part, to see if they are wearing a disguise, if they are stepping into the place of God. Oswald Chambers goes on to say, the Holy Spirit alone is in the true position of a critic. He is able to show what is wrong without wounding or hurting. So when I'm being critical or judgmental toward another person, I'm taking on, taking upon myself the job of the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but unlike Jesus or the Holy Spirit, it is nearly impossible if not totally impossible, for my motives to be completely untainted. The only way we can give spiritual feedback that is helpful and constructive and brings transformation is that if it is through the Holy Spirit in us. So when the Holy Spirit reveals something, says Chambers, of the nature of sin and unbelief in others, his purpose is not to make us feel the smug satisfaction of critical spectators. Well, thank God I'm not like that. We've all thought it, at least I have. Um, But to make us so lay hold of God for them that God enables them to turn away from the wrong thing. So kind of a warning bell that would go off on our head in our heads. If we as soon as the thought enters our mind, well, thank goodness I'm not like them. That should raise a flag in our mind. There's something wrong with my way of thinking about this. So in review of Jesus' first kind of point here, don't pass judgment on people. You are not God. So for me, here's some tells that have been really helpful for me to realize when I'm feeling particularly judgmental, some red flags that say, hey, maybe I need to look a little bit further under the surface and see what's really going on. Am I labeling a person and making assumptions about who they are as a person? Am I saying, oh, hey, they did this thing and I kind of disagree with it or it hurt my feelings or I I didn't really like it? Or am I saying, oh, they did that. They're just this kind of person. I'm, I'm putting them in this, this category over there. That should be a red flag. Kind of in therapy language, there's the whole thing that they say, you know, you should do I statements. So it'd be better instead of, um, you're so hateful and mean, you always do this to me. It's much better to say something like, hey, when you did this, I felt this way. When you did this, um, this one thing, it, it had this effect on me. The difference between you made this mistake or you are a mistake, I can't believe you, da, 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 da. That should be a red flag to us and raise the, as soon as our thinking starts going that direction, it should be something that makes us more curious. What's really going on? What am I really thinking? We see this a lot culturally, um, especially right now. Uh, we make big assumptions about big political topics. They own a gun, so they must support violence. Absolutely, they must love violence, you know. Or we say, oh, they're against guns, so they just must not believe in America or the Constitution. Those kinds of thoughts should set off alarm bells in our mind that the discussion is being framed in a black and white, judgmental, labeling way that is not going to be helpful. It should set off alarms that cause us to get curious and think, hey, I disagree with him on this one point, but I also connect with him in all these other ways. Makes, where when we start making grandiose assumptions about another person, we should begin to get reflective. 
Jesus' message is be careful about lumping people into categories, thinking you know their heart. Really, it's showing more about yours. Last one from Oswald Chambers in what I think is his most brilliant quote on this topic. Judge not, why are we always at it? The average Christian is the most penetratingly critical individual. There is nothing of the likeness of Jesus Christ. A critical temper is a contradiction to all our Lord's teaching. Jesus says of criticism, apply it to yourself, never to anyone else. Whenever you are in a critical temper, it is impossible to enter into communion with God. Criticism makes you hard and vindictive and cruel and leaves you with the flattering unction that you are a superior person. It is impossible to develop the characteristics of a saint and maintain a critical attitude. The first thing the Holy Spirit does is to give us a spring cleaning, and there is no possibility of pride being left in a person after that. Which brings Jesus to a second point. He goes on to say, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Which is Jesus' second point. Check yourself, then maybe you will see others clearly. There's something so strange about humans where often we mix ignorance of ourselves with arrogance towards others. Ignorance of ourselves and our own flaws, our own things, with arrogance towards others. I have to tell you this story. It happened in such a timely time that I had this topic. But um, we, I, two times this summer... Um, I've gone to Chattanooga, and Shandy Fletch and Fell have come, and the first time, we always stop in Memphis, halfway point, spend the night, and then keep going. And I lived in Chattanooga for seven years or so, so um, inevitably, we're always, I'm always bringing things from people. So one of my friends had a baby, so Michelle sent a bunch of baby stuff, and then my grandma lives there, and she sends stuff back for my mom. So the back of the car is like a, a, a neat person's nightmare, because you can't see out the back. You know, when you open it, it's just like a spring and everything flies out. And so the first time we stopped halfway in Memphis and it was like this disaster of unpacking the car because there was no temporary overnight bag. So it was like, you know, you got to take everything out when all you are is exhausted. You just want to sleep and then get back on the road. So this time I got it in my head. Hey, I'm going to be really smart about this and I'm going to pack a little tiny bag to take into the hotel and come back out. So I, while Shandy's at work, I packed one for Fletcher and Fallon. I um, texted her, reminded her, do not forget your go bag because we do not want to have to be taking everything out of the car. So last weekend, get to Memphis, get in there. And I say, well, Shandy, where's your go bag? Oh, I, I forgot. And I go, what? That was the whole point. And I kept, you know, saying, well, I can't believe you forgot it. Man, now we got to take it all out. And I was going on and on and on and on. So we get in the hotel and get Fletcher and Fowles out. I start opening my bag and I realize, guess who forgot to put clothes in their go bag? <laughs> Me. 
So I had to walk back out and get both of our bags and bring them inside, which is a perfect example of mixing ignorance of ourselves with arrogance towards others. It's a really funny story, but I think we can all relate, and a lot of times it's not quite so funny. It's searing or it's hurtful. It's not a wonderful, funny experience to tell about later. Brene Brown, I've quoted her a lot. Um, she's done the most extensive research on shame and vulnerability. Um, but she has some really great quotes. And if, if you're wanting to dig in more to this topic, I totally recommend picking up any of her books. But she has a quote that says, Research tells us that we judge people in areas where we're vulnerable to shame, especially picking folks who are doing worse than we're doing. If I feel good about my parenting, I have no interest in judging other people's choices. If I feel good about my body, I don't go around making fun of other people's weight or appearance. We're hard on each other because we're using each other as a launching pad out of our own perceived shaming deficiency. She goes on and says, we don't judge in areas where we feel a strong sense of self-worth and grounded confidence. So the more of that we build, the more we let go of judgment. Her research has been very searing to me and continues to be something that, while I'm aware of it, I can kind of catch some red flags. I am not always sure how to respond. So a few things um, about judging others, some, some helpful things, is that um, check yourself and then you'll see others clearly. As soon as I start feeling intensely judgmental, warning bells go off in my head. I think, oh no. <laughs> What's going on with me? I have, I have a blind spot somewhere that I am not seeing. Where do I feel shame? Am I tired or am I stressed? What's happening with me that's causing me to feel so judgy right now? First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Which brings us to Jesus' final word in this passage Verse 6, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Don't hold people to your standards if they do not believe as you do. In um, the time of Jesus, pigs were unclean. I actually learned in the Valley of Elah where David and they think, they've been pretty sure David and Goliath fought. They found Saul's camp and the Philistine camp because in the Philistine camp, there's no pig products. Or in, sorry, there are. But in um, Saul's camp, there's no traces of pigs on that side. So Jews were, were very, very kosher, very, very concerned about pigs. And so in ancient times, they... Um, would often refer to unclean Gentiles or unbelievers as pigs or dogs, which is another sermon for another time. But to put it another way, Jesus is contrasting a fellow believer or a brother, as he talks about in the first one, don't go to your brother and point out the plank in his eye. He's contrasting that with someone who does not believe, someone who is an outsider. In this passage, he seems to be saying some teachings are only for disciples and should not be put on unbelievers. Really, the whole Sermon on the Mount is for people who are already following Jesus. It's people who are already interested in becoming like Jesus, and Jesus is taking it to the next level, showing, him, showing them where he wants 
showing us where he wants us to go. So if that's your interest, it's not our job as believers to shove his way onto others. Which is basically kind of the biblical saying, haven't you all like been on, on Facebook or whatever your social media of choice is, and you see this discussion pop up, and it's about this hot topic that you have a strong opinion about, and someone just says something that, you know, you're right down that alley of, that stupid person, they said, why could they think that? And you're looking at it, and, and, and you really just want to jump in there and comment. And sometimes you do, and you immediately regret it, because all it does is confirm all your negative feelings about those people. They're not taking it, and they lay into you, and it, you just see it, or you watch it. Maybe you don't comment but you watch it just go into this downward spiral that's not helpful at all. I think that's what Jesus is saying. Just don't. Just stop. It's not worth it. He literally says, they may trample your wisdom or your things that you're saying, your beliefs that you have. They may trample them under their feet and in turn tear you to pieces. It's a warning. It's a smart warning. What Jesus is really saying is pass things through my filter. Pass, go through this step and the ways that I've laid them out. Number one, don't pass judgment on other people. You're not God. Check yourself. If your, your go-to is this person is awful instead of they did this awful thing, stop right there. You're done. You're not ready to give that person any feedback because you can't see them objectively. If it passes that test, check yourself so that you may see things clearly. Make sure that your ignorance towards yourself is not turning on to someone else. And three, don't hold people to your standards if they don't believe as you do. And these standards are primarily for you. The whole Sermon on the Mount is for us, for us to become the kind of people that Jesus wants us wants to make us into. Does this person that I'm being critical of even share the same values and beliefs as I do? You alone, I alone, could spend my whole life asking the Holy Spirit to review the logs in my own eye and never even get to other people. My whole life could just be spent looking, examining my motives, asking the Holy Spirit to reveal the flaws in me that he would like to make better. And once I've done that, if I turn to a brother or sister and I'm approaching another person that I'm in a relationship with who claims to believe the same things that I do, maybe my feedback could be helpful to them. Only then, only after I've examined my motives, I've examined where I'm at, where I've asked the Holy Spirit, do I talk to someone else that I'm in a relationship with about something I'm worried about in their life? And if it's an outsider, you'll almost never get to that person. If you put the way that you would judge through this filter, you will almost never get to where you need to say anything to someone on the outside someone who does not believe as you do. It's not our job to get the Republicans and the Democrats to see the specks in their eyes. 
or the unbelieving coworker to see all their ridiculous habits or the agnostic relatives to see the error of their ways. Jesus literally says that if you try to give them feedback, they may trample all over it and then promptly walk all over you. Just leave it alone. For me, some of the, the mo- some of the people that have inspired me to grow the most have not been all that forceful toward me. They've just been themselves. Who they are calls me out on my stuff. My boss at work, a married couple I'm close to in Chattanooga, my parents and friends. Yes, sometimes, and there's a few times in my life I can point to times where they've been very frank with me and giving me feedback that I need to hear to point out a blind spot. But nine times out of ten, I leave interactions with them and think things like this. I really liked how firm my boss was when he showed that person respect and acceptance when he gave that corrective action. I really want to be that kind of boss. I want to be both firm and accepting. I want to be clear. I want to be kind. Very rarely has he gone out and told me directly to do that, but in watching him, I think, wow, I would like to be that kind of boss. Or man, sometimes when I'm feeling really gossipy or borderline mean, friends that have been most impactful to me just don't go there with me. And I think, wow, I really, upon reflecting later, I think, wow, I really want to be like that. Or when they're in a really stressful situation, they didn't become anxious They responded thoughtfully and they talked about how they felt later without blowing things out of proportion. They're a non-anxious presence. And I think, wow, I really want to learn how to be like that. Often our judgment shows more about ourselves than it does about the person that we're judging. The feeling of judgment is a lamp post pointing us to shame that we aren't addressing in our own hearts or blind spots in our lives that we're unable to see. And beyond that, our judgment often exposes a lack of faith. We believe in the Trinity. I heard this joke that kind of rings a little true, um, that often in the evangelical world, we believe in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. Leaving out the Holy Spirit on the sidelines, we feel that we must inform all of those around us exactly what the Bible says in our interpretation. And if we don't inform the person of their flaws, how will they know what they need to fix? If I don't let my adult child know how I disagree with their values, am I a bad parent? If I don't tell a fellow churchgoer that their church attire is wrong, won't they just keep wearing it? Or this one's really hard for me. If I don't make it clear that I disagree with how this fellow Christian is acting, what if outsiders think badly of Jesus? And I derail onto this PR campaign for Jesus instead of spending time with him and letting Jesus handle his own relationships with other people. Jesus says, let feelings of judgment make you curious first. Most of the time, what the Holy Spirit reveals in ourselves will keep us occupied for a lifetime. We won't even have time to examine anyone else. Jesus, we thank you for your words on judging others. And Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would give us the courage to get curious about the ways that we're judgmental. To ask for you to reveal in us the things that you would like to change. We could turn our eyes away from other people and turn them towards you. 
thank you for who you are and um, for always being around us. In your name, amen.